Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And you may have noticed recently, maybe the last month or so, we've had a fair amount of podcasts about postpartum, postpartum health, preparing for postpartum. So we're going to continue on that trajectory. And we have Evelyn Gamma here. She's a licensed mental health therapist. And we're going to talk about planning for mental health check-in postpartum. But before we get to that, I just wanted to give a little shout out to to the listeners of the podcast because it makes me feel so amazing that you guys are getting something from this. So I recently checked our reviews and ratings on iTunes. So again, a little hint, if you haven't done this, please run over and leave a rating and review. So as I was checking, one just came in a few days ago and it just thrilled me. So I want to share this. This is from Tarn84. So thank you. I'm just going to read a piece of this. The end goal of this podcast, it seems to me, is really how can we give moms as much knowledge as possible to make them feel empowered, as well as bring more compassion into the space of pregnancy, motherhood, and yoga. As a mom and yoga teacher, I am thankful, and I wish I could come up with a bigger word than that for this podcast. It's information and the love I feel for mothers when listening to it through my iPhone speakers. Thank you, Tarn, because you're absolutely right. What this whole podcast is about is giving back to the community, that people have the information, they can make their own choices, and hopefully this creates a smoother path through pregnancy and motherhood. And when there are bumps, hopefully we're giving them that information to get past the bumps and to find resources and help. So reading that just really resonated with me because that is exactly the whole purpose of this. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Also, just a quick reminder that we do have a donation button on the the prenatal yoga center website just to help keep this running. Uh, it's, it's a passion project of mine, but it does take time and energy and money to help my whole team keep this going. So anyway, we're going to move forward. Oh, one last thing I forgot to mention. So besides the podcast, besides the teacher trainings, besides the yoga studio, I am launching an online course. I know it's just another hat to put on my head of things to do. And on the 25th of October, I'll be leading a free webinar called the three big mistakes yoga teachers make with pregnant students and how to avoid them with grace and confidence. You can check that out, find that on my website and then to sign up. And then I'm also, that's leading into a bigger online course. It's a five week course called who's afraid of the pregnant yogi. And the purpose of that is those that are teachers who are not specific, not specialized in prenatal, but then often have pregnant students in class that you have the tools to help the pregnant students so that you don't ignore her and you don't hurt her. So check that out. You can sign up on the Prenatal Yoga Center website. You can also find us at www.whosafraidofthepregnantyogi. All right, now let's jump into our podcast. Thanks so much.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, Evelyn. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for taking your time to speak with me. Sure. I'm so glad to um, to speak with you. I've been a part of the PYC community for two babies, so it's really my pleasure. And I love when I can dip into the pool of, of talent <laughs> from our community because you guys really understand um, what we stand for and, and our message and, and you're part of it. So that's really exciting. So I think today's topic is extremely important. And I've been kind of on this motherhood mental health kick for my podcast recently. So when you and I connected, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is where we're going. All right. So before we jump into planning for mental health, check in for postpartum, just tell me a little bit about yourself and how you came to this work. Sure, sure. So um, I began my career um, working with young children, and I I still love to do that. I do play therapy um, with children and parents. Um, But I quickly realized that I also wanted to have an impact on the broader family system. So I spent a good amount of time doing family systems work in Manhattan and the Bronx. And when I began um, even just thinking about becoming a mother, I realized um, that was a new area um, in which I could support families. Um, so I completed specialized training in perinatal mental health, and I began integrating that focus into my private practice. So now the bulk of my practice is fertility, pregnancy, and postpartum. Um, and I think that's because there's such a need for it for individuals mm-hmm. and for families. Um, so I see people individually. I see couples. I see um, the dyad of mom and mom and baby or mom and child. Um, and um, I'm just so happy to be able to serve the whole family. Um, but I think that maternal mental health especially um, is kind of a passion because um, I have two children of my own and um, I was lucky to have a lot of support um, with both kids. Um, but I, I, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's life-changing, it's transforming. So um I, um, so that's what brought me to this work. And I, so now I have a private practice here in the city, um, and I facilitate a special needs support group, um, and support special needs parents individually as well. Um, one of my children has special needs. So, um, and then my newest project is a birth processing group, which has been really wonderful and rich and what the women, um, are sharing with each other. So that's wonderful. So it's just an opportunity for them to talk about their birth and process what happened. Exactly. Um, I think, you know, we just get the message in society that we need to kind of move forward, right? The, at least you have a healthy baby message or, oh, well, all's well that ends well kind of thing. But there's, you know, there's a lot that, I mean, birth is, right. Birth is one of the biggest events of many people's lives. And so having the space to just process it and process those feelings is really important. Um, for women. Oh, so, I love that because yeah. we have like, we have the new mom support group at our studio mm-hmm. and that touches Which into is that. Oh yeah. Cause you've done that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it suggests our, our facilitator kind of dips into that, but I love that you're doing a whole mm-hmm. group because you're right. How many times have I heard students kind of sheepishly be like, well, the baby's fine. I'm like, but there's more to your there's history. So and more. it's so, I mean, mm-hmm. I could go on such a tangent, but it's birth so deeply impacts 
the fabric of who you are and then you pass that down to your children unwilling like unknowingly like if someone had oh, a yes. really traumatic birth their child may hear it in certain what well, may what likely will hear about it in certain ways that's going to impact and color how they see it and it just keeps trickling down so what exactly. an amazing I mean service and we, that is. we you know add layers of meaning onto our births as well right based on our own narratives about ourselves or about experiences in our life so I, you know, I do think that it can contribute to postpartum mental health as well. So, um, which is, I know our topic today. So. Oh yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> right. So maybe I might kind of dig into this a little deeper because sure. it fascinates me. So when we're talking about kind of the mental health in the postpartum, so I'm going to totally take a, a turn from where I thought I'd go. If somebody already has had a traumatic birth or maybe I mean, I guess traumatic would be more, if they had a really joyful birth, it wouldn't be as scary the second time. But if someone had a really traumatic birth and they didn't process it, mm-hmm. how do you, how would they prepare? Because I would think that'd be part of the mental check-in and preparation. Because I know my first birth was long and in hindsight really scared me to go through it again. And so I had mm-hmm. to really put some time into getting over that hump. So is that something that you would put in kind of the mental health check-in and what would they do about that? Definitely. I mean, I think sometimes, um, when we don't process it, it's still going to be present. Right. And so trauma can either live in our body or just come out in unwanted ways. So I think it's important to be really intentional about, um, processing your birth and what it, you know, what the experience was like for you, no matter what the outcome might've been, even if the outcome was, all fine. Um, I think that's an important part of checking in if you're going to have another baby. So um, dealing with any anxiety and fear you might feel around that, or, um, you know, I was just speaking about the narrative we had on top of our experiences. So if your narrative was, you know, I, I failed in my last birth, which believe it or not, I do hear people say that, you know, they didn't do enough to prevent this or that from happening or to have it go the way that they had wanted, you know, so if that's the narrative you've added that really has to be kind of um, dealt with and processed or there's going to be so much pressure on the next birth, right, to be this corrective um, instead of maybe looking back on your previous birth and, and having a more compassionate voice um, about um, about your birth and about, you know, um, the things that were out of your control. Um, and I think that can bring a little more peace and, um, just acceptance, um, and again, compassion for yourself for your, for your next birth. Yeah, I think absolutely. And I think it's, um, I think it can really prevent someone's birth from unfolding if they're still holding onto fear and, and maybe even self hatred. Mm-hmm. of like, Oh, I should blame. have done that and blame. So yeah, this is all part of like digging in and I call it getting the skeletons out of the closet. And I tell my first time, I mean, I have these I like weird that. sayings. Like I, no. I mean, I have some weird things, sense. but you know, and I've seen this as a doula. I see, I saw this very early in my doula career of fear that hadn't been acknowledged. Now we may not be able to totally get rid of it, but if, if it's not acknowledged, it can come up and really disrupt the whole birth. So I guess I'm going to throw my own and we're going to do a health check-in for fears before, before yes. birth. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think doulas, you know, are, are great, you know, can do that very well with women um, because they have been in so many births and just um, can, can be reassuring. But, you know, I told, I, part of our birth processing group is we talk about that compassionate voice and we call it sometimes the best friend voice. 
um, because it can be hard to locate in yourself your own compassionate voice. But when you think about what a best friend would have said um, about your birth, it can kind of help you tap into that. So that's oh, I like that. Just a little tool a doula can use to. Um, oh, I do love that. And I think the yeah. listeners remember that. How would your best friend talk to you, or how would you talk to your best friend about your birth? Because probably kinder than you would say to yourself. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to pull it a little bit back to the mental okay. health check. Okay. Sorry, when you talked about no. that, like my my little ears perked up. I'm like, oh, we got to dive. All right. So, why do you recommend someone prepare a postpartum health plan? So, um, we know new parenthood is such a wonderful but overwhelming time. We know that as many as one in seven, or even by some estimates, as one in one in five women do encounter some form of pregnancy or postpartum mood disorder. So, and partners also sometimes suffer from postpartum mood disorders and changes and just the transition. And when you're in it, it's really difficult to have the energy or the self-awareness to seek help. So partners might see signs of postpartum mood disorders, but not know how to help um, the birthing parent. Mm -hmm. Um, They can be afraid to bring it up. Um, I know many partners have said they feel like they're walking on eggshells around (laughs) Um, the mom or the birthing the birthing parent anyway um, in those early days because they don't they're not totally sure what to do. So if she's having difficulty, you know they may not they may not engage. Um, and the same goes for other family members. So I think it's just much easier for someone to reach out and get help quickly if they have a plan and they've talked about it beforehand. Uh, the good news about perinatal mood disorders is that they are very responsive to treatment. It's not overnight, but there's no reason to suffer or feel alone. Uh, longer than you have to. So when you have a postpartum mental health plan, you you can feel a bit more in control. So what um, would be involved in planning for postpartum health? So the it really depends on the person and their history, but I think the bare minimum would be to to just have a have to talk with your partner about um, you know having a check in once a week or every couple of days um, if you know, how are you doing emotionally? Um, so this could be your partner. If he's, if he or she is not the person that you would usually do that with, it could be another family member or close friend. Um, but just someone who's going to kind of check in with you on those, because unfortunately there's so much focus on baby. Sometimes mom gets lost. I mean, we might ask, how are you sleeping or how are you doing mom? But there's just not a lot of room to really dive in with someone safe who you feel like can hold, hold it all, you know? So that would be kind of the bare minimum. Um, This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net-zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. You want the, yeah, well, what kind friend? of questions are they, besides like, how are you sleeping? How are you doing? What would that, the, that conversation look like? Um, it could be, you know, how are you feeling emotionally? Um, 
you know, uh, it could be something that the partner has noticed, you know, like I noticed that um, towards the end of the day, you seem, and you know, that, and that can get tricky, right? Because if someone says, I noticed you seem really, really frazzled or irritated, you're like, what do you mean I'm irritated? <laughs> um, but, you know, kind of saying like, is there something we could do? You know, are you feeling like yourself or is there something we could do to help you with that? Or if, if the partner notices that, um, you know, the mom is, is crying more often than usual or just um, postpartum mood disorders can look very different. The, par- the partner might notice hypervigilance, right? So always checking on the baby. So just being able to have open conversation about um, A, what the person is feeling and B, maybe what the partner is noticing. And so when you talk about it before um, before postpartum, um, you can kind of say like, what, what could I say that will feel okay to you? Mm. You know, so that's the part we we sometimes skip is is preparing to have those conversations, and then when when we do have them, they kind of go south because um, it was asked in a certain way that pushed our buttons. But if we if we've talked about it beforehand, we know the intention, right? We know that they're not saying like, "Geez, you've been so angry lately." Um, we know that they're saying like, "Hey, this is our check in." Like, remember we said we were going to do this, you know? I think that's um, great having the questions ahead of time. You're right because if someone's like, "Wow, you're seeming really irritable," of course, and you're be like, "Or like, you slept. look really tired," you're like, "Yeah, I am. I'm a new parent." So I think mm-hmm. that's great because again, it's coming from a place of of caring, not picking on because I could imagine a new mm-hmm. parent almost feeling picked on by the partner if they're faulting if they if the if the new birthing parent feels um judged or faulted by the person mm-hmm. asking so I think that's really smart having yeah. that conversation ahead and I of think time. the question should go both ways right because the partner also is is struggling sometimes right mm-hmm. um and it might not be on the same level um but still just being aware like this is hard for him or her too um, or this is, you know, this particular part has been difficult. Um, then, you know, it's just, it creates a more open environment for continuing to talk about these things. And it, it feels more supportive, right? It feels like you're on the same team. How um, do you know when you've gone beyond that norm? I mean, because, I mean, you've been a new parent. I've been a new yes. parent. There is, you know, a sense of, being overwhelmed by the responsibility and fatigue, mental and physical. So mm-hmm. are there any signs of like you've passed what we could call the norm or the common experience and when we've head into a place to call for help? Um, yes, I think so. I mean, it, it is different for each person, but I think, you know, if you, I, I would describe it as feeling like you can't escape the feelings um, for some, for some women not for all, but, you know, baby blues are, are more kind of come and go like you, you know, you have them in the first couple of weeks and then, you know, you might also continue to have, we, we've all been there. You have hard days where you cry, you know, um, this is a more persistent feeling of either sadness or, um, numbness, not feeling like yourself, not feeling like you can engage. Um, that can be one, um, one symptom, um, you know, for anxiety, it might be um, hypervigilance, not being able to sleep when the baby sleeps um, because you're always up and checking and um, or or just um, there, you know, there are also um, intrusive thoughts that happen to women. And I think every woman has experienced that once or twice, but when they're really getting in the way of you doing things. So this would be something like avoiding um, going downstairs because you have the intrusive thought that you might um, you know, throw the baby down the stairs or fall down the stairs. I mean, these are things that women, you know, hate to say out loud, but 
the thoughts are alarming to us because because we don't want you know the woman does not want to do them um but when those are taking place and and they're kind of the the type that you can't escape right um that more than um you know i I don't want to give a percentage um Mm -hmm. that you might feel that way but um that more than more often than not you are feeling um not yourself anxious depressed you know there can be different different types um then that's when then you want to um ask for more help so is this something you think all parents need to be armed with or is this more if someone's had a history of mental health issues i i do recommend that all new parents develop some form of mental health check-in mm-hmm. um you know we can get into kind of the different um things that could be involved in it sure. um but i we know that there are risk factors that make some people more likely to develop postpartum mood disorders than others but, you know, there are many women who say they never thought that this would happen to them. They didn't have any history. Um, so this is not being a alarmist or trying to scare anyone. It's just better to be prepared. Um, yeah, laying you know? the groundwork in case you need it. It's better to have it there than struggling and scrambling. Right. There's yeah. so many challenges postpartum. I don't, they're, what new parent wouldn't benefit from thinking a little bit ahead about what they might want to do if they're um, having a hard time. And I think it's hard for people to do because we, we are so focused on pregnancy and birth. Um, you know, I always use the analogy. It's like telling someone who's about to run a marathon, like, let's talk about your recovery. You know, they're, they're like, what do you mean? I, I'm, I just want to run this race, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's understandable, but a little planning can, can be a huge benefit for everyone involved, the parents, the baby, um, and, um, the extended family, because they may know, know how to help you a, a bit more if you, if, um, that's something that you talk about beforehand. So let's go a little bit into personal history. So can you talk a little bit about the importance of personal history? Um, and should a new mother also consider that of her parents and might that play a role in postpartum mood and anxiety disorder? Yes. So if you, if you have had a previous mental health diagnosis, you are at greater risk for a PMAD, for a post, um, postpartum or prenatal, perinatal, oh, perinatal. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, perinatal. perinatal, yes, mood and or anxiety disorder. So we aren't enti- entirely certain about the role of parents and their mental health history, but certain mental illnesses do have a genetic component, such as bipolar disorder, depression, et cetera. So it can be helpful to ask your parents about their history as well. Um, it's sometimes helpful to ask your mom or your sister about her experience after birth, we don't know that your experience will be the same, so don't panic um, <laughs> if they had a rough time. But one benefit of asking is that um, you do know, you know, your family history. Um, and then also you open that door, you know, for the, that conversation. Um, how did you cope, mom? You know, how did, um, how was it for you? Um, and you kind of hear their story. You can take the parts that you think work for you and maybe leave the parts that, that don't. Um, but so there's some benefit even just, you know, on that level. Um, but so, so if you do have a history, um, or your, or there's some family history, um, of mental health diagnosis, I would suggest, um, if you already have a therapist, um, talking about what the plan might be for postpartum, because it's really hard to get to a therapy office after you've had a, a, a baby. So, you know, are they open to a phone check-in or, um, you know, what will be, um, kind of the, I, the process if, if you need to reach out and schedule something, if, if you're not already, you know, going to be scheduled after, 
after giving birth. So really touching base about that beforehand. Um, if you had had a previous therapist, but you're not in touch, maybe getting back in touch and just saying like, you know, I'm about to have a baby. I just want to let you know so that if, you know, if I'm struggling, we kind of have that open line of communication. Um, and if you've never been in therapy, maybe seeking out um, just some referrals just to have on hand. Um, if you're really worried about it, you could always call someone and just do a consultation before so you know, like, this is the person I'm going to call. Um, I think that some people find that really reassuring. Um, but other people just want to have the referrals and, and kind of like um, have that list. Um, the other thing you could do is have a conversation with your OB beforehand. You know, if I'm struggling, either prenatally um, or postpartum with anxiety, do you have referrals, you know, on hand or should I, do I need to be looking somewhere else for those? So kind of just knowing where your resource is going to be and making them a little closer at hand so that, you know, the worst thing is to be, to be really struggling and, and really not have the energy to go and find someone, you know, for help. Yeah, especially if you do a consult ahead of time, you can get a sense if they're a good fit for you too, so that you're not exactly. in that emergency state and someone may not feel good because you're you're so hypersensitive. So I like that idea. Exactly. The and most therapists will do will, you know, do a, a free fifteen minute consult. Um, you know, no problem. That's pretty standard. So that's, that's a great yeah. idea. So let's talk a little bit about medication. Now, I know obviously someone needs to consult with their care provider and this is not mm -hmm. something they should take on on their own. Um, but right. do you have suggestions for someone if they're, I had a friend who was very much having anxiety disorder and she had been on medication. She went off of it during her pregnancy and she finally went back on postpartum, but she hesitated. And I think there is a fear or, or stigma she, I think she was concerned about, about being on medication while breastfeeding. So can you talk a little mm -hmm. bit about regulating medication during pregnancy and postpartum? Definitely. Um, and I, you know, I'll start by saying I'm not, I'm not a psychiatrist. So, but you know, this is, this is my area, um, and I do think there is there is that stigma, and many women kind of rush to the decision to go off of their medication for pregnancy or postpartum or while breastfeeding, and I can certainly understand that. I mean, I, I remember being pregnant wanting to minimize, you know, the medications I was using, um, but if you're currently on medication for mental health, um, and for, for a lot of women, the ongoing prescription is coming from maybe your GP or... Um, or just a, a general psychiatrist, I would really su um, suggest that you check in with a reproductive psychiatrist, so someone who has really specialized knowledge in this area. Um, and if you're in New York, there, there are quite a few. Um, but to do this before you make any changes. So um, it's understandable to want to go off, but you want to do so based on the best information, right? What are really the risks and um, you know, the pros and cons of, of being on or off medication. Um, you wouldn't go off kind of a diabetes medication or a blood pressure medication during pregnancy without thinking about the risks, right? And we, and we kind of downplay the risk of not being on medication. Mm -hmm. um, there are some risks there if you're really um, struggling there, you know, the stress hormones and then um, postpartum, there's um, that ability to be, to be present for your baby and to be... Um, able to, to form that relationship. So those things have to be weighed out. And the best person to do that is a reproductive psychiatrist. Um, you know, the, the medications, I think the stigma is there for a couple different reasons. But one thing is that um, 
medications for mental health are are really understudied um, generally, but they're very understudied for women during pregnancy. Um, there's no good way to do a clinical trial around that, and so so we have these conceptions that they're that you know they're negative, that they have a negative impact, but that hasn't really been borne out by research. Um, and they recently did away with the with some of the drug classifications, the A, B, C, D that we're used to mm-hmm. um, for pregnancy, um, just because they realized there because there was a different amount of evidence and studies, it wasn't really a fair comparison, you know, to say this one is an A and this one is a B. There wasn't, it wasn't really, um, so is it all kind of on an even playing field about taking them or is there some that there is some information might be better for pregnancy Mm -hmm. and postpartum or is it, or has that been, you're saying that's been taken away? I'm saying, you know, the general classifications have been taken away, but if you consult a reproductive psychiatrist, there are definitely some that are more well studied than others and that are, are recommended. Right. What about the idea of switching? Like, so say someone's been Mm -hmm. on medication and it's working for them, but maybe it's not as studied. Is there, would that be something they should talk to their care provider, not their care provider, but um, someone even more specialized about switching or can that be rocking the boat too much? Because that means you'd have to withdraw from one to go on to another. So that's where really weighing those pros and cons comes in. And I would do that with a reproductive psychiatrist because um, they're the ones who are really trained to know, you know, really specifically um, what the withdrawal symptoms will be and what the benefit of switching is and, and that kind of thing. So, um, but I, I, I think it's important to, to do that because otherwise women do tend to err on the side of either, you know, taking less or, or you know, I, I've worked with several women who have just kind of on their own reduced their dose or, and, and it, you know, it's just, it's trickier. It definitely, um, it's trickier for everyone to figure out what's going on and what, what part is your symptoms, what part is the medication withdrawal, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think bottom line is don't (laughs) (laughs) self-medicate and ask for and seek real help, not just, you know, Mm -hmm. internet. Not just general. Not just general or or Dr. Google. So let's stay with Dr. Google. Okay. I'm really glad we had a chance to talk to that because I've had, I've heard this throughout the years of either the guilt feeling or Mm self-regulating and medicating. And that just never seems like a good idea. So if someone's having a really hard time, they didn't get kind of the home. They didn't do the homework. And again, it sounds kind of guilty and judgmental. So they didn't have a plan. Um, yeah, they didn't have a chance. They to didn't have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just for it up. You know, or like you never know how things unfold. Is there like a hotline, or how does mm-hmm. someone how does someone seek support? Yeah, I mean, right. So there is actually. I I would say first of all, confide in someone that you trust. It's always easier to carry this when you know you're not carrying it alone, right? So if there is someone. Uh, you know, a family member, a friend, go ahead and confide, confide in them. And then together, um, if, if you can, you know, not everyone feels that, that that's an avenue for them, but if that's there, then, then do it. I always, I always think it's just easier to carry something when you're not carrying it alone. Um, and then, um, you know, in, if you're feeling like you really need immediate help, there is something called postpartum support international, um, www.postpartum.net. So this is for, despite the name, it's for prenatal or postpartum, um, and they have a warm line. So um, they won't answer right away, but you leave a message and they will call you back. Um, a trained volunteer 
will usually, who's usually a mental health professional, will call you back within 24 hours. Um, so that number is 1-800-944-4773. You can also text them because people, you know, they found that people are just more likely to send out a text message. Um, and so the text is 503-894-9453. And again, all this information is on their website, www.postpartum.net. Um, and that's if you need kind of immediate help and they're going to try to, to link you with help. Um, I mean, if, if it's an emergency, um, if you feel hurt yourself or, um, you know, hurt your baby, obviously you want to go to an emergency room. Um, but this is for, you know, that kind of immediate but not urgent help. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, other resources. So they also on their website have what they call a PSI coordinator for each region. So they have New York coordinators. There are several, um, including one that speaks Spanish. Um, and um, they will help you to find someone who's trained in perinatal mental health um, and hopefully who takes your insurance or, you know, who's accessible to you. Um, so that they're a really good resource. Um, you, it, you know, you can also touch base with your OB. They may have referrals. They're, they're starting to really understand that they need to have those ready. Um, also pediatricians, or, you know, I, I, pediatricians. Yeah. They also, um, often, often have lists. Um, they're, they're also getting better about screening and about, um, having referrals ready. Um, and, um, uh, the prenatal yoga center, if you're part of that community, <laughs> you guys have a great resource area. Um, yeah. and also, you know, have made referrals, I know. So, yeah, to you. Um, <laughs> Well, yes. your way. <laughs> oh, that's, well, that's very nice. But you have that whole referral. Yeah, we really do. We that, have but... we have people that from all over the city. We do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. a lot of places so. do. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No I was actually thinking as you're talking about um, like the OBs, I didn't see, I had a midwife, I didn't see her too much right after, but I was seeing my pediatrician quite regularly, mm-hmm. um, you know, a few days after and a few days after that. And then I got to know her well because she lived, you know, we were two blocks from her when we were there all the time. Um, but <laughs> she, I then later asked her and she goes, she was asking me questions. Like she was kind of stringing out the, our time together, watching me breastfeed. And she says, that's how she screens. So she kind of, she works with the baby, but also watches the parent. I thought that was really interesting. So you don't feel yeah. like you're being screened, but right. she is aware. So I thought that was something I hope I all, I th- hope all pediatricians do that. Right. I mean, I think, you know, there are screening tools, right. But, um, it really is about the relationship as well, because if you don't feel comfortable um, with, with your pediatrician or OB, or you feel like, you know, they're going to misunderstand you or think that you're not a good enough mother. Um, if you're, if you're, if you're suffering, um, from a postpartum mood disorder, then you're not gonna, you're not going to reveal what's really going on. So I love that she was really, first of all, building your relationship 
with mm-hmm. her. And then also and um, trust. looking at, yeah, yeah right. And really then taking helpful. some time to observe you. I think that's wonderful. Yeah, so, so I hope all pediatricians um, are I know, doing that. I know. I'm, I've, you know, I've been trying to work with pediatrician's office just to increase their confidence um, in, in um, screening and also in making referrals. Because um, mm-hmm. I think there's that feeling of like, I don't want to open Pandora's box. Um, so I won't go there, but that, you know, they, they, you're right. They see moms so much more frequently. Yeah. than um, than after the birth. So mm-hmm. during the postpartum time, I know many new parents feel their personal needs fall by the wayside. How would you suggest still taking care of personal needs during this very draining time? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. It's so important. And I, um, you know, I talk about it a lot individually and with couples. So again, if you can do this, before you give birth, it's, it's, um, it's great. But so doing some self-care planning. Um, and so that means sitting down, um, either with yourself or, you know, even better with your partner and thinking about what you might need postpartum and then how you're going to work together to get this. I think, especially in New York, um, but you know, we're so used to, and if we want to meet our needs, we, we do it. Um, we don't need someone else to, help us to do it necessarily, or at least that's um, the idea that we have. But now you have a baby and if you're meeting your self-care needs, often it means someone else is taking care of the baby. So you really have to to schedule the time, right? Um, with your partner to talk about what are those top priorities. Um, you know, for me, it was, I had to get outside every day. Um, it just, and I had both my babies in the winter. Um, so, you know, that was something I had to be very specific about with my partner that when he came in, um, you know, I was going to leave. (laughs) So, I mean, some days you can get out with the babies and it's fine and, you know, but there are other days where you fairly. Um, and so I remember, you know, one, one night, very memorably, there was a blizzard and he's coming home and talking about how they're shutting down the subways early. And, um, I'm putting on my boots and he's saying, what are you doing? It's terrible out there. And I said, I just need 30 minutes of fresh air. I, you know, I was like, remember, this is the the thing we said, this is my self care. And he thought I was crazy, but, um, but you know, he was up for it. Um, and so that was something, you know, important for us to have talked about beforehand and that I was going to need that because, Otherwise, he might say to me, like, oh, I just got out of work. You know, I, I need a chance to, to change. And that would be fine, too. But he knew that, that at some point I was going to leave for 10 or 15 minutes to just walk, be on my own. Yeah, um, getting out of the house. It might without... be something different. So here's kind of a, I don't know if there's any correlation, but self-care, obviously, you feel better, usually, and more grounded after. Yes. So. Mm-hmm. What is the correlation of taking, and it, maybe there isn't, maybe this is too much of a stretch, of honoring self-care and following those self-care routines and lessening um, any sort of mm-hmm. perinatal mood and anxiety disorder? Or, or is that just too much of like a, a fix it? Or is that more for like no. baby blues? <laughs> I mean, I think, I think that is the right word, right? So we can't, we can't totally... It, like you said, but those are, you know, preventative factors. Preventative, when you, that would um, be, okay. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, one thing that we didn't touch on that, I, you know, I'd like to is yeah. when you're, when you're taking care of yourself and when, you, you know, you have um, thought about your support roster, um, you know, as you know very well, Deb, because you created the community that's prenatal yoga center, but women really were not meant to do this alone. Um, and so I respecting that you're going to have needs, um, 
that you're going to need ways to get sleep, that you're going to need ways to take care of yourself, take breaks, um, whatever it might be. Um, hearing that and filling out your support roster ahead of time, thinking who's going to help me with this specifically? Who's my good emotional support person? Um, you know, my, whatever it might be, my um, mother-in-law might not be the person I'm going to go cry to, you know, but she's really great at um, babysitting meals or she'll <laughs> take the baby away and let me shower, you know? Um, so knowing who's who kind of can do what, and then looking, are there holes in your roster? You know, do you need, um, to look for more support in, in one area or another? Um, do you think you might feel isolated? Um, and you might want to think about a new mom's group or make friends, um, around the same gestation prenatally. Um, so I think those preventative measures do have an impact, you know, we can't say that they're that they can directly prevent any um, kind of mood disorder, but but definitely there's the idea that taking care of yourself and um, making that time for self care um, and making time for whatever you might be feeling, um, not not kind of having to push it down or numb out um, if you can, if the feeling is too overwhelming, um, then you know that's valuable. Um, so so the the two. You know, preventative things that I like to talk about are planning for self-care with either with your partner or who, whatever other supports you have. And um, and then you won't always know what you will need. <laughs> I don't yeah. think it's I don't think anyone can explain what it's like to have a new baby, really. So asking for help when you when you feel you're in too deep or when you feel like you can't take one more night of not getting a long check on sleep or, you know, um, not being afraid to, to invest in yourself during that time. Um I think women have the idea that it's selfish um, and that this is a a time for them to be selfless. Um, And I I don't think investing in yourself um, and your family and your baby, because that's what you're really doing, Mm -hmm. um, is is selfish. Um, So I think we need to really dispel that myth. Yeah, I think there's definitely this myth of you can do it all on your own. You can do it, you know, you can do it all. I can have the whole big picture. And I also think that especially, and I'm going to, this is very regional, but you know, New York (laughs) tends to be a place Mm -hmm. where people go to for, I'm going to say career usually, like I don't, again, I'm being very broad. Um, but a place like that, I feel like there's very few like authentic New Yorkers, you know, like, you know, (laughs) we we all kind of came here for whatever dream mm-hmm. or reason and then stayed and often moving away from family where I think that's again, it's more yes. reach. And I don't think this is the whole listenership. And from my own experience and the experience of many of my friends in this region, we don't have family. So when you were talking about filling that roster here, I am mm-hmm. well out of the postpartum. My kids are four and seven, but not having family around. And this has been the conversation I have with many of my friends. It's really hard. And I think I underestimated that. Mm-hmm. I underestimated that hugely. Like even just this thing of like a kid is sick or there's a half day or no school. All of a sudden the par- you know parents are scrambling, hiring sitters. Mm-hmm. I definitely think this is not necessarily how it was meant to be. Like you know, in raising kids, so right, you hit right, on something very right. big. Really, yes, yeah. It, enhance, it really enhances that feeling that it all falls on you. Um, when it does, is, you when know, it like a parent. <laughs> Because it kind of does, it kind right? of does. so you know, it it does, you know, and so I think there's some shame sometimes that people have about um, support roster, even if that means hiring someone, if that's you know possible for you, and it might mean, um, you know, I think outsourcing can be big and small. Um, it can be 
you know, hiring someone to help with childcare and give you a break. Um, it could be, you know, um, someone who comes to deep clean, you know, once every couple months because you just are not going to get time to do the baseball, yeah. you know, <laughs> crazy thing that tiles, we yeah. think that we might do someday. Um, and so just knowing like that, that's not on my plate. Um, I'm, I'm doing all these other things, but this one doesn't have to be. And there's, there's not shame in that because like you said, we, we can't, we, weren't meant to do it all in the way that we kind of have that image. Yeah, I know. I've actually found that for years. I'm like, I can keep it all together. And then I'm like, no, but I really can't. And and I feel (laughs) better when I, when I have help. That's Mm -hmm. just, that's just my, my own thing. So can you talk a bit about staying connected to your partner at this time? Cause there seems to be like, there can be big resentment um, built up between who gets what tasks. And sometimes a task, a lot of the tasks fall more on the birthing parent. And obviously if there's resentment and disconnection, that's not going to lead to a healthy mental state during postpartum. Mm-hmm, definitely. So, you know, I think psychologically we can, we can think about some of that resentment is, um, is, a, is about the situation in general, right? So you have this new baby, um, and this huge change in your life. Um, and, it can feel bad to be frustrated or resentful of the new baby. Um, you know, even if they're crying incessantly, not feel um, frustrated, but a lot of times it gets turned on the partner, right? So um, we've all been there where it's in all the night and you're, you're doing the, the shushing and all of that. And then, um, you know, you just look at your partner, like you do something, you know, mm-hmm. um, because it, it doesn't feel good to feel resentful of the baby. So that's, so I just want to put out there that I think that's part of it, that it, it gets kind of um, pushed off a situation or the, the baby um, onto a safer place, which is um, in our minds, the partner, right? Um, but it's not always so so helpful. And then there's the very real thing of, of like you said, the tasks. You know, how are the tasks um, distributed? And um, a lot of it does fall to the mom. You know, the mom is many times the one doing a lot of the feeding or um, a lot of the um, food or a lot of the the calming of baby, like all of these things seem to fall to the mom. So um, I think in terms of staying connected, um, a couple of things. One is um, really um, having, and again, you know, I'm big on the check-ins, but um, really having some clear conversations about that and not having it just be kind of um, unspoken that, you know, here's where we are right now and this is how it's feeling. Um, is this something that we want to change? Um, is this something where, um, the partner just needs, who is taking on more, just needs to hear more appreciation? Um, you know, kind of just opening those lines of communication about what's going on. And sometimes for the, for the, for the, the dad or the non-birthing partner, um, they may, um, be vulnerable enough to say, you know, I, I could take on more, but I'm not sure how to. Um, you know, they may need a little more, um, instruction at times or or permission to fail. Right. So they're going to do it their way and it might not look the way that mom's doing it. Um, that kind of thing. So really getting to the root of, of, um, of what's going on and not just letting it kind of continue and let resentment build. So that would be one. Um, and then the second would be if you have any ability to do this, um, try and continue, um, the, you know, the, the times of just the two of you, right? So even if it's once a month, a date night, a date afternoon, that time when you're not kind of in the midst of it all being parents, um, is, is really important to reestablish kind of, 
the the kind of deep connectedness that keeps these little things from feeling so big. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. That they take on a lot more meaning sometimes um, when we're not feeling connected at all. Yeah, I think that's so um, important. So you that's have to be like, thing. this is why we started the family because we actually like each other, mm-hmm. you know, more than to love, like enjoy each other's time. Because I think it can get very easily caught up into the routine of like, you change that diaper, I'm going to do a feeding, you wash that, I'm going to get the bottle, you know, like, so I think it can get very, very fras- ta- yeah, very routine. Yeah. Right, right. And I think it puts them into perspective, like, okay, this person's behavior is frustrating me, but um, it doesn't let it snowball into this person has a character flaw. They're <laughs> lazy yeah. or not helpful, like, which is what our minds do, right? Our minds do turn it into something like that when it could be just a behavior that we want to have addressed. Like, you know, hey, um, when I um, leave the bottles, I think, you know, or after I'm done pumping, um, help me if you would clean the bottles because I feel like I need, you know, 30 minutes to between before the next feeding to, to take a nap, you know, like being, being a little clearer, Communication. Um, that it's just a behavior that can be addressed. Exactly. Communication. I like that. So to start <laughs> um, to wrap so things up, is there anything that I mm-hmm. haven't asked that you're, that you're just dying to put in there? You're like, Oh, this is so important. Mm. Or we might have hit it all. done a good job. <laughs> Yeah, you've done a good job of of, um, of um, covering it. Um, oh, good. You know, I think, um, yeah, definitely. So um, the, the last thing I'll say is just, oh, sure. um, you know, the importance of other moms and community, right? So that can be for um, your planning for mental health. Um, oh, absolutely. Is, you know, what kind of community do you think you're going to need? And, you know, for some people um, who are more introverted, it might be, you want to be in a new mom's group, but that's it, you know, and for other people, they want their day to day to involve, you know, going classes with other moms or being at other mom's houses or um, things like that. So just think about what you're going to need and where you might get it um, beforehand. Really, oh, I love it. That's so true. So where can people find your work? Um, sure. So my website is um, counseling dot com. Um, and, and, um, I have a practice on the West side, but I also make home visits and, um, do phone and video sessions because I do know it's so difficult for moms to, to get out, um, moms and partners to get out after having a baby. Um, so I try to make myself available. Oh, I love um, that you and I should also visits. just mention, uh, so I should also mention that I do, you know, this is a whole other podcast, but I do, um, work with special needs families and I do, um, NICU visits are needed because sometimes um, when you're running back and forth between home and the NICU, um, thinking about going to a third place is not doable. So, um, so I'm available as well. Well, that's a really good plug because I want to do another podcast with you about <laughs> handling Great. life with a baby in the NICU because you yes. did experience yes. that firsthand. So we're going to plan that. Mm-hmm. So if those that are um, concerned about what that, if they might have that situation or, or those that are going through it or those that have gone through it already and they're still healing from that, we're going to do a podcast about the NICU because no one wants that situation, but many people have that mm-hmm. situation. So we'll offer for some support. Well, thank you so much, Evelyn. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you. All right. Well, have a good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. You too. Thanks. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.